Welcome to The Lens. I'm Ollie Barrett. And looking through The Lens with me today are two guests, Anthony Jenkins, the chairman of Business in the Community and the former CEO of Barclays. He is now the founder of 10X Technologies. And Shreya Hewitt, uh, another entrepreneur and the founder of Transfer Guru, which is a money transfer comparison website. I'm going to be talking to them about some of the challenges as well as the opportunities presented by digital transformation. I'll talk to them about whether responsible business is only really something for big companies and not small. And I'll talk to them about the war for talent and how we can all be attracting more diverse, energised workforces. And now let's get to the conversation. Well, I'm very pleased to be joined by Anthony Jenkins, who is the founder and CEO of 10X Technologies and the chairman of Business in the Community. Anthony, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Anthony, I'm going to uh, turn back the clock, if I may, because I'm asking all of my guests on the lens how they first got started. So uh, let's wind back the clock. Your very, very first job. Paint us a picture. Um, I guess the very first jobs I had was when I was in secondary school. Uh, I remember one in particular working in a garage on a Sunday, um, cleaning cars and serving petrol uh, in those days when you serve petrol for yourself. And it was a great uh, induction into the world of work because you sort of had to show up on time, you had to do a good job, uh, and you got to help customers. Yes, so customer a, service face-to-face. Exactly. And were those the days when people were asking, you know, what are you going to do when you grow up? And if so, what was your answer? I went to a pretty ordinary state school it was grammar school in those days but um you know people generally didn't think a lot about careers i definitely wanted to go to university i was always interested in business and finance and economics uh but when i was in sixth form that was the sort of areas that i was uh, interested in now over the years you spent a large amount of your life in the banking world eventually going on to run barclays as people know uh Along the way, any particular career-changing or even life-changing moments? Have you had to look at those waypoints? Yeah, I mean, th- th- there's a couple of things that really stand out for me. One is uh, when I was in business school doing my MBA, and we actually had a session on what we now call responsible business. And the whole debate was about, well, what is a business for? Uh, and we looked at uh, Milton Friedman, the very famous uh, Chicago economist, and his argument was the business of business is business. All businesses need to do is make a profit. If they make a profit, they'll be able to employ people, pay tax and so on. But their responsibility ended there um, versus other models, which are broadly about serving stakeholders. So, of course, customers, uh, colleagues, society at large and shareholders. And that second model really caught my imagination because it seemed to me to be far too simplistic to just view business as about profit maximization. And the second thing that happened to me really when I was working in the United States in the mid to late 90s was the first big tech boom going through there. Uh, And I remember looking at a business to do uh, receivables processing and it was all going to be digital. That really sort of caught my imagination about how technology changes industries and how it can change banking and financial services and all the way through the first dot-com boom and so on. That was a really pivotal moment in, in shaping my thinking. And as you were looking at those technology changes, were you thinking, how can we implement those within this very large organisation? Or could there be a life for you outside and perhaps even on your own? You know, I've always been uh, quite a, a kind of maverick in my thinking in many ways. But this whole wave of, of technology change really got me thinking about 
how can banking work better for customers? Frankly, particularly post the crisis, how can it work better for banks themselves? Because the industry is challenged with um, you know quite poor returns on equity and so on. So I've always sought to think about things um, in a transformational way, in the way that I think of as, as non-linear. Let's turn now particularly to your chairmanship of BITC, Business in the Community. Uh, for listeners just uh, uh, tuning in is the Prince's Responsible Business Movement. Some reflections, Anthony. Um, am I right in thinking typically this is for larger organisations? Well, we have about half the FTSE 100 uh, as members, but we have close to 900 members. So we tend to operate at the large and medium, and um, that sort of high end of small. Um, so it's not just for large businesses. And some reflections. What, what has moved you? What has inspired you? And as you move towards the end of your chairmanship at the end of this year, what still remains on the to-do list? Well, I've always believed that business has has to do more than just make money. And in fact, I've always, always believed that if you make money in the right way, it's good for your business. I think in inheriting the role of chair, we, I did it at a time which was really quite difficult for the economy in the UK. What I was seeking to do was to take the organisation, which is a wonderful organisation, but really focus it on what I regard as being the next chapters of economic and social development for the next 10 or 20 years. And that is all around um, what technology and digital is doing to the economy. It creates many wonderful opportunities, but it also creates several challenges. And for businesses in their own self-interest, but also in the broader interests of society, um, there is a lot of work to be done in this area. And I believe that we started that work off well, um, and that work will continue. So, Let's get a little bit more specific about that, because everywhere we see uh, the opportunities talked about, don't we? Let's try and zoom in on some of the challenges. What have you seen? What should be giving any listener cause for concern? Firstly, let me say that I am a, a huge uh, positive on technology. I believe it has created wonderful opportunities in our lives. But if we think about what technology really does, um, it creates the opportunity to automate a lot of work. And when you automate that work, um, what can happen is you can have a hollowing out of the economy. So you have a, a few um, very well-paid, high-end jobs um, and a lot of very low or no-skilled work. And that is the real danger. Now, the counter-argument to that is that, of course, every technological revolution that's happened, um, people have these fears. And it always turns out that it creates new work. Um, but I think what's different about this time around is that in previous uh, industrial revolutions, it's basically been about using physical things to make humans more productive. Um, in this revolution, it's all about using virtual or digital things uh, to create productivity, yes, but also, frankly, to eliminate huge amounts of work. And so just thinking about what that, then, what that does for the responsibility of a chief exec, knowing that technology will be replacing many jobs within their organisation, um, does that then come with it some responsibilities to retrain, for example, or um, is that somebody else's issue? There's a massive paradox here, which is the world has become much more instant. The response to these changes requires thoughtful, medium and long-term action. But also, of course, 
um, investing in the skilling of the workforce to be able to take advantage of those opportunities. And that, I think, is a major requirement uh, upon business today. And when we're thinking in the broadest sense about responsible business, I'm not expecting you to name names, are there practices or trends which you consider to be irresponsible, which you think we just need to draw attention to? Because presumably there must be a host of unexpected consequences of this rush towards innovative, disruptive technology. And unless we draw attention to them, people just simply don't notice. There's a really challenging issue around responsible business. But really, at its heart, responsible business is about how business gets done and how money is made. And so if organisations aren't looking at the business model, aren't thinking about how to deliver services that are valuable to customers that are operated in the right way. If business leaders and businesses themselves don't internalise this notion that responsible business is really about doing business in the right way. Conscious of our time together today, Anthony, uh, I think the cliche goes that very large businesses find it hard to innovate. And I just want to question that because in theory, they've got such talent, such financial resource. Uh, You ran one of the world's largest banks. Uh, In practice, what gets in the way of thoughtful, responsible innovation within these large corporations? And and be as specific as you can, just help us get our head around it. Actually, I think uh, large companies can innovate. But what I think large companies, and particularly large incumbents, struggle with is transformation. Um, And transformational opportunities present themselves when technology makes a big leap in capability and when the cost of it comes down. But really at its heart, the difficulty here is is a cultural one because um, in a large organisation, there is a tendency towards risk aversion. Um, That risk aversion can be overcome in the context of innovation. Um, But when you really think about the radical reframing that has to happen around transformation, that's much harder for large organisations. And just to probe that risk aversion, one could argue it should be the opposite. In a small company, a risk could put you out of business uh, so, so quickly. You've got these huge cash reserves in some of these organisations. Why are they so risk averse? What does it actually boil down to? Well, actually, it comes down to people. Um, And at the end of the day, if you're a senior leader in a big company, you've invested 10, 20, 30 years of your career to get to a certain point. And you're talking about personal reputation. Personal there. reputation. And this is it's not a, a criticism at all because you know the people in these roles do very difficult, complex jobs and they often do them very well. But actually, when you think about why people become more risk averse, the more senior they become, it's because they spent that time getting to these leadership positions and they may only have three or four years ahead of them in the current role. So basically, they've got there and they want to stay there. Unfortunately, in this world that we live in today, where things are moving so quickly, that is often not in the best interest of the company. Let's talk a little bit about 10x. And um, I want you to uh, shine a light on what it's doing. But Just to jump ahead a little bit, 10x to me is all about hugely innovative, disruptive technology, the blockchain, uh, artificial intelligence. To what extent is it a concern that the faster, the smarter, um, the more efficient these technologies, um, they're hugely engaging. Is there a risk that they leave some of the most in need of our support behind? And if that is a risk... How can we get our heads around that and do something about it? Actually, I generally think the reverse is true because what these technologies do is is lower the cost of service delivery. This huge wave of transformation we're going to see in financial services in the next zero to 20 years 
will make a fairer, more effective and more transparent financial system. I also believe it will make a less profitable one, um, but you can't have everything. Anthony, if you were giving uh, a piece of advice to people just starting out today within large organisations, you've seen them from the inside, now you've seen them from the outside, in very practical terms, what what would you say to them? Yeah, I think um, there's sort of just three things I think about, um, whether it's professionally or personally. Um, Firstly, find find what you are passionate about. Um, And if you can find that in a large organization, great. And if you can't, go somewhere else. But life is frankly too short to do something that you don't really care about. Um, The second thing is uh, tenacity is really important. I assure you, nobody is successful in this work without a huge amount of of hard work and if you look at at the people who are at the very top of their professions in any area where it's business sports arts music they are talented people yes but they work extraordinarily hard and the third thing i would say is um as a human being i believe we all have an obligation to make the world a better place on some level think about how you as an individual can do something that's going to make the world a little bit better. To your fellow chief execs, particularly your former cohort in uh, the chief execs of very large companies, they say to you, Anthony, I have noticed we seem to be losing some of the best and the brightest of our talent. How can we keep them? In very practical terms, your words to them, what should they be thinking about doing more of? Um, I think the most important thing for people today is to have a purpose that is credible. Um, so lots of companies talk about purpose. Um, sometimes these things are kind of very high level and quite hard to connect to. Uh, but when I'm hiring people in my business, 10X Future Technologies, I say we're all about transforming banking. People get that. They like that. They like that it's a big challenge. They like that it's a big space. People can connect with it. And I think that's the most important thing. But like anything in this space, anything around leadership, culture, values, purpose, it has to be genuine. Because if it's just words, people see through that in a nanosecond. Uh, Anthony, please do stay around and meet our next guest, Treya Hewitt. For now, Anthony Jenkins, thank you very much. I'm joined today by Shreya Hewitt, the founder and CEO of Transfer Guru. Welcome, Shreya. Thank you. Hello. For those of us who haven't yet discovered it, tell us about TransferGuru. What is it? Super simple. TransferGuru is a price comparison service for international money transfers. So if you're sending money to family, buying property, paying suppliers, um, you have more options than just your bank and you can save a lot of money. Got it. And why did you start it? Um, it's quite a personal connection, really. Me and my co-founder, we met at university, worked on projects and kind of went on to different things. His own family is from Iran, mine is from India. We've both kind of experienced the costs and effort of international payments and so it was kind of stemmed from there of well we know that there are better options out there we know about them how can we you know tell other people about them and so just kind of started working on it from there it's the sort of thing that so many people talk about it isn't it starting a business i just wonder in practice what's the single toughest bit about it so far i think it's the stability i think that's what it comes down to in especially in comparison to grad jobs or um, very structured careers and learning paths, the day-to-day instability or the you know, the risk of your next paycheck, especially if you're a founder and you have that responsibility to kind of look after your employees before yourself, I think takes up the most headspace. Mm. I sometimes wonder whether, in a way, all generations are the same. 
uh, in terms of you know caring about others, making wanting to make the world a better place. Um, it's so easy to generalise, isn't it? Um, do you think of, if I can call it your generation, to what extent do you think you are any different to the ones that have gone before? I'm sure that my answer will change with time. I think I'm aware that um, our generation hasn't built anything or my generation hasn't built anything of such substance that we want to protect it and we're not the incumbent yet, so it's very easy to be principled. But I think our attitudes to things, there are things that we think don't make a difference that maybe older generations did. Um, like what? If my, you know, if my employees, where they come from, whether they're a man or a woman, it, it, it doesn't bother me. You know, it's not a consideration. What I care about is how well can you do your job and how can I help you do that job better? Very open question. Um, certain employees are looking for flexibility, aren't they? the ability to work the hours they want, when they want, where they want. Another type of employee is looking for stability and fixed hours, reliable contracts. And how does that get processed when you're now an, a hirer of people, a job creator? I think that's a difficult one. I think it would be great to live in a world where we have, you know, where as a company I have the resources to provide exactly the kind of situation that someone wants, but that's not always possible. But also, uh, you know, this constant pr- process of reviewing and changing so this you know the lean methodology of like well what's working fix it try again I'd love to be in a position where I have enough employees to kind of offer both and say well do what works for you in in either circumstance yeah I think that's incredibly honest answer it's um yeah it's on the minds of everyone at the moment isn't it Uh, tell us a little bit about um work you've done in schools because I'm always interested do you think there are things that we simply aren't teaching be that about areas of knowledge or skills that we should be uh, are we getting it broadly right or what do we need to change? I think maybe there's a little bit of a detachment between what kids are learning in their lessons and actually how the skills are used later on. So Anthony mentioned about maths and how it's it's just really kind of completely removed from the, how, you know, the reality of how important it is in, re- in, in work. So I wish that some of the applications were a bit more emphasised during school. When you look around at... Um I guess what get called business leaders today, I'm talking particularly CEOs. I mean, to what extent are you filled with confidence, inspiration, concern? Um, it's easy to, um, well, you, you tell me. I think what Anthony said about kind of putting your money where your mouth is is really important. A lot of companies are keen to be on the bandwagon of responsible business and what that looks like and trying to define it and um, subscribe to it. But I think the ones that really kind of stick by it are st- do stand out. Who inspires you? So, I mean, so one really large company that I think does really well is Accenture. Um, because I've worked a little bit kind of with them on what they're doing, not just for students and not just for reaching out and kind of getting girls into that pipeline, but also with their current employees offering flexible working, making those situations work. I think that that does fill me with a lot of hope of here is a really successful company in tech, that's that's doing a good job of this, and so that should set the standard. Mm. At the other extreme, again, not necessarily naming names, are there certain things you just think are a bit fake, lack the authenticity, don't deliver? Yes. It's almost become trendy now to have a programme for um, ethnic minorities or, or, or girls, you know, in tech. But I think unless you're really brutal about the results that it's delivering or the impact that it's making, you have to ask yourself, well, why are you really doing this? So and and it does it leads you to question the authenticity. And if I change the word trendy to say it is a trend that companies large and small have a program to encourage more diverse talent and their measurement is more people from diverse backgrounds applying, 
um, in and of itself, is there a problem with that? What, what, at what point do you get concerned? What puts I you think off? At the point at which you don't see that filter into their leadership or into their senior levels of management mm-hmm. of, well, great, you're getting more people to apply. What are you doing to address your hiring practices? Who's doing the hiring? Are they... Are they aware of implicit bias or, you know, various things like that? Are they making sure that they're hiring from the point of view of getting the best talent and not just the people that fit into the company culture? So I think, what about the long-term impact? Somebody listening might say, well, um, Shreya, some of the things we're talking about, flexible working, education, training, um, all very well if you're a very large company, budgets, whole departments, CSR schemes dedicated to this. For small businesses, very, very tough. And actually, perhaps it's the sort of thing which one can only consider uh, when one's considerably larger. Would you agree with that? I think I don't agree with that, no. I think I think that's true if you live with the assumption that your employees aren't you know, addressing the same business goals or that it's harder for, it, or, you know, their work is of a poorer quality if they're not in the office nine to five. One of the great things technology has given us is greater accountability. Mm. I, you know, I personally work remotely quite often, but there are ways for me to completely be in touch with my team, make myself accountable. How is my time being spent? Okay, well, here, here's a provocative thought then. You could say that uh, in many cases, uh, technology companies, uh, particularly uh, small entrepreneurial ones, in their quest to be faster, more disruptive, more innovative, cheaper than everybody else, are almost by accident being accidentally irresponsible. Uh, is, is that being too harsh? I think it is. I think it's an accurate description where companies are left unchecked. But I think even new disruptive companies aren't immune to the same sort of accountability that older ones should be you know, held to those standards. The word disruptive is kind of there's almost a realisation now that that's no longer, it's not sustainable. Once you've disrupted something, then what? So I think fintech especially is now moving to a situation where the word is collaboration. How can how can the legacy banks work with fintechs to deliver that same service and make that transition seamless? And I think that's, first of all, effective, but also kind of it brings the responsibility that the older companies have with the disruptiveness of of the new ones. Uh, if you could go back to uh, the Shreya who was uh, just starting out and give yourself a piece of advice, is there anything you wish you'd known? I wish I had known what it's like to work by myself uh, for long periods of time, as collaborative and as you know, um, well connected as the fintech scene is. There are still a lot of days where just very basic things have to get done, and you, I just kind of have to shut myself away and do the paperwork and things like that. And I, I wish I had been better equipped to deal with that earlier on. Mm. And finally, if someone is currently in a position potentially of huge power running an organisation, any any message to them, thoughts you'd like them to have on their mind, uh, particularly bearing in mind, I guess, their power uh, to to, to make a difference? It's, I mean, it's so easy for me to say this, so putting that to one side, I think it would be to take on more risk. A lot of what big companies do is make risk decisions based on how much can they afford to give and and anything they can't is kind of passed on to the customer of, well, that's how much we can help you. And I wish that some of them would, even to their employees actually, take a bit more risk of, well, why don't we try this? I think with big companies, there's often a very set structure and breaking out of that structure, being a little bit agile is very terrifying because I guess because there's more to lose. But I think the rewards, especially from where I'm standing, are so great that I would really encourage it. Yeah, well, 
Here's to that. And uh, it'll be very interesting to see the two of you come together, actually. Maybe that's one for another episode. But for now, uh, founder and CEO of Transfer Guru, Shreya Hewitt, thank you very much. Now, a subject I'd like to turn to today and really focus in on is the number one thing which companies tell me keeps them awake at night, which is talent. And in particular, I'd like us to think a bit about uh, diversity of talent. So, Shreya, uh, diversity of talent, wh- wh- why does that matter and what have you already learned about attracting it? Um, I think diversity for me is a very personal issue. Um, I'm an ethnic minority woman born outside of the UK, went to a state school and then on to higher education. I think I've always felt myself to be in the statistics of who's not included. And now as a founder of a company, I kind of have to think from the other perspective of the ease of hiring somebody who is not underrepresented versus the potential long-term gains of hiring somebody who is. I think so far what I've tried to do is be very hands-on in hiring and have the conversations to see that there's not just um, the skills there but also a cultural fit and an equal desire from whoever the person is that they are also wanting to work in a business that is more representative and um, they can bring more to the company than just their job description. Anthony, this word diversity, what does it mean uh, to you and what can go wrong uh, with a lack of diversity? Well, in my business career, the thing that I've learned is that diverse teams are just better. Um, They're better because you access a broad swathe of talent. They're better because they tend to understand markets and customers better. Um, And they're better because if you have people who are the same on any dimension, they tend to think the same. And that's not a great way to solve a problem. So I've always seen this question of diversity as both an ethical issue, which it clearly is, but it's also a business performance issue as well. And I can tell you from my own experience of working all around the world, when you have a diverse team, you have a better team. And and is the rule that you've learned or the lesson you've learned uh, simply search farther, search wider? Or are there some very specific techniques you can use to increase the diversity of people applying to join uh, Transfer Guru and 10X? Well, what works? Or indeed, are there certain things which can be inadvertently off-putting? I don't know what you think, Shara, but from my point of view, it's got to be, firstly, it's got to be a priority for the business leader. Uh, secondarily, it's not about what you say, it's about what you do. So, you know, you can talk all you like about diversity if, you know, it's all run by one particular type of person, that doesn't work. Um, but it's like everything in business. If you make it a priority, it gets done. Shrek, what do you do in practice? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I agree with this about making it a priority. Um, we're a very small company, and so arguably we've not had to face the challenges of hiring far and wide yet. Um, and my being in the company and being visible already makes the case for us to quite a large extent. Um, but it's not necessarily something that people want to talk about of like, well, why are all of my partners partnerships re- represented by men? What, you know, that kind of, people don't want to confront that. And so actually being a little bit confrontational, putting it out there. Tackling I, it head on. Yeah, I think yeah. that's important. Vocalizing the, these yeah. things. So, so the, that's your perspective, I guess, as founders. Um, let's think more broadly, I guess, as a country. I'm looking at a statistic or a prediction that says that even by 2020, 22 women will represent only 30% of the UK's digital workforce. Now, this is a number that troubles many of us, uh, all of us. Um, What practical things can we do to increase that number? Interestingly, I was um, at a large pharmaceutical company a couple of weeks ago uh, talking to some of their degree-level apprentices, and there was a very good 
uh, mix of diversity there. I think, again, because the leadership of that company had made it a priority. But I also think there's a lot of myths that we need to bust around this. But we've got to get uh, more role models out there, like Shreya, like the business she's building, um, so that young women coming up through school can see those role models and say, yeah, I can do that. And, you know, I'm not going to be intimidated by any of these subjects. I wonder, it may be on the remit of the lens. I don't know yet, Anthony and Shreb, but anything that we can do, um, particularly maybe government can do, any, any much bigger changes, Anthony, you're chairing the Institute of Apprenticeships, any much bigger changes that you'd like to see made? Well, that's a huge topic. Yep. Um, but I think, for example... Uh, we're one of the few countries where math is not required up to the age of 18. I don't think that's acceptable. And if there's one thing that I would say we could do, I think it's great that we're starting to teach things like coding in primary school now. But actually, entrepreneurship and creativity and innovation, these are things that we need to begin to equip. I think if we could inject some of that into the curriculum, and if we could up the capability of our young people around STEM subjects, but math in particular, uh, it's incredibly important. Shrey, anything you'd add to that on the national level? Yeah, I think, Anthony, you must have a lot of insight into apprenticeships and the role that they play. Um, I think from personal experience and through working with STEMETs, one of the things I came to find was that girls just couldn't picture what a career in a lot of these subjects looked like. And I think apprenticeships are a really, really good way to change that. And Shreya, I'd, I'd agree with you completely because one of the things that I saw in these young apprentices I, I met with recently was they were going into schools and talking about their own experiences and talking about why it's really cool to have jobs in these fields. And again, there's nothing like seeing somebody who was you a few years ago actually mastering these things and taking away the myths of it. It'd be great to talk a little bit about responsible business. Uh, as you know, with business in the community, a subject on our minds uh, all of the time. To what extent uh, do you see uh, Transfer Guru as a responsible business? Uh, and maybe even I'll ask you what, a broader question. What does that phrase mean to you? I think one advantage that I have over the leaders of big businesses is that I, I've, I've only ever considered my career and my any any business that I lead in the post-crisis context and building responsibility into the the absolute core of the of the company is just by definition important mm. and i think going back to the example of on um innovating within big business it's again it's that thing that anthony said of like saying it or just having this goal of entrepreneurship for its own sake is just not enough what well what does integrity look like in business and you and it has to be day one business plan it, it kind of has to be wired into the system there i think responsible business means hiring ethically i think it means putting the customers not just what they're buying from you but also their their wider needs their right to privacy their you know the protection of their data their right to full information even you know all of those things have to come right up front which is really hard to do when the opportunity cost of doing it you know shorthand is is the way that it is it's much easier for a small business to say well let's just let's make the money first and then we can be responsible mm. afterwards so i had you touched on aspects of this earlier but i guess my one question was you've gone from what a lot of people would regard as a very like old old age comp- like an old school company to something that's very much at the front line of innovation and especially in a sector that has to deal with a lot of regulation which itself is constantly changing so how do you how do you What's your advice for a smaller company starting out to toe the line between 
being free to innovate and agile enough to innovate into new areas, but also keeping an eye on that regulation and working within its boundaries, and I guess where its boundaries have not been created yet. If you look at the heart, what's really going on at the heart of regulation, it's really about making sure that customers get a good outcome. Um, so I think, firstly, if you have that at the heart of your business, uh, that's really important. The second thing is understanding and investing in understanding where the regulation affects your business and where it doesn't is a really important thing. But in many ways, I believe that technology should be a solution to many of these regulatory problems. Okay, now very briefly, Anthony, a question for Shreya. So you've obviously done a fantastic job in setting up your business, and I can completely see the the problem you're trying to solve in the use case. But you know, what does success look for, look like for you in five years' time? Where do you want to be in five years' time, in 10 years' time? I think that depends a lot on acknowledging just how techy the fintech is. In five years, I think what I would like for it to be doing is addressing its core concern, which is international payments. What I would love in five years is for it to be a completely fully scaled business that any company in the UK that has to pay a supplier abroad can just log in and pick a provider, make the payment in a matter of minutes. I think that that would be the dream. And what you're doing is so important because effectively you're taking friction out of the system. You're taking cost out of the system. So whether it's somebody sending money back home to relatives or a business buying things that they want to import. It's very, very important because it will accelerate the velocity of the economy. Any word of uh, advice, caution, warning as Shreya goes into conversation with those very, very large companies, Anthony? You've been on both sides of the fence. I used an analogy last week at a uh, conference I was speaking at. It's, it's like watching a elephant and a mouse dance. Um, and when I told my wife this afterwards she said well you do know that elephants are afraid of mice <laughs> so i think uh, and are they right to be i think bear in mind that uh, it can take a long time to do some of these transactions um but of course if you get it right it can be wonderfully successful so pick pick the right ones and be careful about where you invest your time brilliant food for thought uh, thank you very much uh, to you both thank you shreya hewitt and anthony jenkins that was The Lens, hosted by me, Ollie Barrett. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and subscribe in iTunes, and you'll get the latest episodes as soon as they drop. The Lens is a business in the community program supported by Fujitsu. Today's show is produced and directed by Chris Cartwright, with production management by Hannah O'Rourke. Music and editing by Adam Smythe. Our executive producer is Sergio Lopez. Until next time, goodbye.